Hello and welcome to the Corporate Pero Latinos podcast. This is your host, Sofia. And happy first day of Hispanic Heritage Month. Shout out to everyone making an effort to bring our sazón to so many different tables. You all know I'm very passionate about representation for our community. And although this is the month that officially celebrates our heritage, we stay celebrating it year round. Que ahora todos quieren ser latinos, pero les falta sazón, batería y reggaeton. Anyway, for today's episode, I wanted to have a conversation with a corporate Latina who now holds a C-suite position within the media and entertainment industry. Her name is Vanessa Vigil, and she was recently promoted to Chief Brand Officer of NGL Collective, the largest digital-first Latinx media and entertainment company in the U.S., Her promotion was timed to the merger of NGL Collective and MeToo, the leading digital media company dedicated to inspiring, representing, and super-serving U.S. Latinos. Vanessa oversees the social brands for MeToo and NGL, including We Are MeToo, Fierce, Crema, Things That Matter, Somos MeToo, as well as Hispanic Kitchen, Latina Moms, and Hispanicize. She and her team's social brands connect with millions of Latinos across various social platforms to fulfill the mission of representing, entertaining, and super-serving the communities. She is committed to showcasing both the collective and unique experiences of Latinos that are fully American and are closely tied to their culture. Hello, that's so many of us. So without further ado, this is Vanessa. Hi, Vanessa. Thank you so much for coming on the Corporate Pero Latinos podcast. I have been following Me Too on social media for as long as I can remember, and I'm a big fan. So it's really a pleasure to get to speak with you today. Thank you, Sofia. I'm so excited to be here, and I always love hearing that we have fans out there. It never gets old. Yes. Um, so why don't we go ahead and get started with you introducing yourself? Just tell us a little bit about you, your profession, a little bit about your upbringing. So Vanessa Vigil, I am currently the Chief Brand Officer at MeToo. Um, we did recently merge with NGL Collective. Um, so either company is fair game in terms of who I work for. Um, my background has always been in advertising, mostly on the media side, media agency life. And even before that, you know, I always, I did my internships in marketing and entertainment. And so that's always been the crux of where my career has been. Um, and also always focused on the multicultural space. So from day one out of college, um, my very first agency job was um, with Arenas Entertainment, which is a Latino marketing company. I've always kind of been at that intersection of our culture, um, marketing and entertainment because I live in LA. And so that tends to be one of the biggest, you know, advertising categories out here on the West Coast. In terms of where I grew up, uh, I grew up in Southern California, West Covina, um, went to Covina High School. So I was always based here. Um, both my parents are from Mexico, um, but I am born and raised here in SoCal. Um, I went to school on the East Coast uh, to Amherst College in Massachusetts. So I did do four years out there. Um, and I loved it, but I also realized I love home more than anything. And that, you know, LA is definitely, definitely home. And I came back every chance I got and definitely came back after graduation. And I know this is where I want to be. Um, yeah. And so, you know, my upbringing was pretty middle class, but, um, grew up with a strong sense of, you know, my Mexican identity, obviously bilingual, having learned Spanish first. And my mom was just, you know, definitely one of those moms who was always like instilling in me, you know, the culture and the stories and letting me know that, you know, there's a, a different history out there. There's different perspectives from what I was learning in, you know, an American public school system. Um, so she just did a really great job of that, you know, and just kind of growing up with all that, 
all that culture infused every chance she got. And I'm so, so grateful that she did that because I, I know that's what led to me, you know, being here and doing what I do and always having a strong sense of identity. That's awesome. She must be so proud, right? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> do you still have family in Mexico or do you get to visit every now and then? You know, not much. Um, pretty much everyone is here now. Um, growing up, we did go pretty often. My mom is from Yucatan. And so at least every couple years, we'd go down there for the summer. They, um, she still has a you know, house down there. My aunts will go there for months at a time. Um, so they definitely kind of live in both places. But everybody, you know, set down pretty permanent roots here um, in in Southern California throughout the years. So no, I, I don't really have anybody that, that still lives there. But um, and it's been many years since I've been back, you know, obviously, COVID delayed everybody's travels for right. a long time. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I definitely get the itch to go back and there's so much of Mexico that I have not seen growing up. Um, you know, my dad, he, he grew up in Tijuana. And so that's a trip we would make a lot, right. Cause we could just drive down there and we were probably going like at least once a month. Um, so definitely grew up with a lot of, um, a lot of going to TJ. Um, so a lot more in my childhood, but I need to get back more often now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, totally feel you I moved back to the U.S. when I was a little girl so mm -hmm. I think when I was still little I would visit Mexico a lot more often um, but as I grew yeah. up and you know you get busy with your career and your life and then I moved to New York so it's further away yeah even harder so now you know I go once a year since my mom still lives there but yeah, yeah it's a lot more difficult but like you said it's harder to to really explore Mexico, right because when I visit it's like I'm going to visit family so I yeah. always go to the same place and I'm like I really want to go to um DFE because I've yes. never really explored <laughs> I know yeah. I keep hearing it's like amazing um you know a lot of my coworkers and people at meet is just like they're absolutely they're like oh my god you have to go to we're actually trying we're trying to find a reason to get the meet through team out to Mexico City so if if anybody has ideas, we're down to go. <laughs> like, oh, that be a caravan awesome. of us trying to go. <laughs> yeah, just like plan some random business meeting there. Yeah. <laughs> Most career, right, has been within media and entertainment, right? Yes. So why did you decide to have a career in media and entertainment? So, I mean, if I'm honest, you know, I think part of it was, the circumstances that, like I said, growing up in Southern California, growing up in LA, that is the big industry here. Um, and right. so, you know, my first, my first few internships, you know, earlier in college, I remember my very first one was actually with an entertainment company, um, you know, and I was doing things like reading scripts and, you know, they manage talent and there, there was all, all kinds of stuff. So it, it, in a sense, it was kind of low hanging fruit, but, you know, as I look back, I, you know, again, I'm one of those people that thinks like everything happens for a reason. And, you know, I've certainly had those moments in my career where, you know, working in entertainment can sometimes feel frivolous. It can feel like, you know, is it impactful? Is it, you know, there, could I be doing something deeper, more important? Um, and I think it's really important to also acknowledge how impactful media and entertainment is, right? Like that's, that's part of why, I think Mitu rose to the success it did and why it's something that has stuck is, you know, that you, you are, you know, what you see. And we've yes. all heard for, you know, generations now, like the lacking representation and the impact that has. And so even though at face value media and entertainment can seem like, oh, it's just frivolous and it's all, you know, so superficial it, it matters. It matters what you see on screen. Um, it matters if you feel represented. It you know, people shape their narratives and their thoughts so much on media and entertainment, probably more than they're willing to admit, right? Like if you think of everybody's perspective, it's largely going, you know, yes, it's your lived experience and your circle, but, um, it's also what you're consuming in the way of entertainment and on your feeds and that has impact. So I, totally. that's probably why now I'm like, 
yes, I'm in it and, and I feel good about it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's so important. And, you know, um, earlier I mentioned to you how I myself, I'm like a content creator or influencer, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you want to call it. And a lot of people still don't find that to be like a true job but it's like people don't realize right like when you have influence you really have influence and you can impact so many people's lives and everyday decisions which is why media is so important and I think we've seen a rise in the uh, content creation market or industry Mm -hmm. within the past two years and we're seeing all these companies like really invest in these social media platforms and ads and everything because they know that's where people are, you know, spending a lot of their day. And you also want to see people that look like you, you want to relate and everything, which is what I think Mitu has been great at. Like it has such a big following and like, across all these platforms because people can truly relate and feel that sense of belonging. Yeah, no, you're completely right. And I, and I think, you know, again, Mithu came up and, and was created and t- like just the right time in that media and entertainment has become so democratized. Like think about the days when it was like, you know, seven broadcast channels and like, those were your choices. And it was a one-way conversation, whatever those TV stations wanted to put out, like they controlled the narrative a hundred percent and social really changed all of that where like, that's thankfully that is where, you know, creators like yourself and Mithu and, and so many brands have really come up is that like, we don't have to wait for permission for somebody to green light and give us space. Like with digital and social, we can just create that and consumers have more options than ever. So you can really curate who you follow and what you engage with. Um, you know, it's good and it's bad. There's a lot of responsibility. Like, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, at Mithu about just how important it also is that like as a two-way dialogue like we're also held accountable right and so we're also hyper aware about what we're putting out there and there's an accountability to the content we put out the perception that that you know we have because our audience will call us out and you know we we have made mistakes in the past and like we're all real people behind the screen and we're all like you know 95% latinos and so we do care deeply about what we do like it is something we take very personally when when something goes wrong um it is really hard on our team um because we don't take it lightly you know we feel like we betrayed our own or our community and um but i also think like there's something really good about that accountability. Like it's, we're very mindful of the brands we're engaging with, the content we're creating, the stuff we're putting on our feeds. Like it, it doesn't get to just be like a handful of people that decide what gets put out there. Um, I think that accountability is healthy. I do also think it's very important to be self-aware and, you know, if you have your audience calling you out on something, just being able to step back and like, okay, maybe we messed up or, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but for anyone who might not know, NGL stands for New Generation Len X, correct? Yeah. NGL recently announced a merger. This w- this creates a Latin X digital powerhouse. As the chief brand officer, where do you see the future of Latin X media headed towards? It was a it was a really strategic merging that we're very excited about. Um we really felt like it was sort of this perfect zipper effect in that, you know, what their strengths were, were not necessarily ours and vice versa. Um, what Mithu does very well, obviously, is that audience, you know, relationship that we have, that is our, you know, most prized um, possession. And again, like I just talked about, we, we don't take it lightly. It's a daily engagement. It's that content relationship dialogue we have with our audience on social every single day across multiple platforms um, and across multiple brands. Um, NGL has been very successful in, you know, as a business entity in the marketing, you know, and advertising primarily um, in reaching, you know, U.S. Latinos, um, 
with online video, with different ad solutions um, at a much greater scale than Mitu has been able to. And what we've done very well is like, you know, branded content. And so again, bringing advertisers into a way to engage with our audience, similar to the way we do it organically. And so the coming together of those companies is what's so exciting is that now, you know, for advertisers, we can sort of say, you get the full suite. Like if you want just media, at large, large scale, like we got you covered. If you want, you know, custom content, we got you covered. You want sponsorship, we can do that too. Like, um, so that's, that's what's exciting is to have, you know, two truly digitally native, you know, digital first companies. We both have always been 100% focused on Latinos, 100% focused on digital. Um, you know, we're not a a TV company that then got into the digital game, like we are native to this. And so it's exciting in that sense, I'll say that first, um, where my role is going now as chief brand officer, um, and I'm so excited for this, is really just to further develop the Mitu brand. So the Mitu name is not going away anywhere. You know, it's, um, we talk about the relationship, you know, between NGL and Mitu as, um, think of NGL collective as like the Viacom, is like the MTV to the Viacom, right? So there's still a lot of brand equity. Yeah, but then there's, you know, there's kind of a parent company. There's like the business name that sort of bring, ties it all together, especially more in the in the B2B community. Um, so Mitu obviously is already comprised of several brands. Um, we have, uh, we are Mitu or we call it Wham um, for sure. Somos Mitu, which is, you know, very similar, but a lot more Spanish content, Spanish memes. Um, Fierce was launched in 2017. So that's really our female empowerment brand. Um, we launched Grema last year. So that's our music brand. We launched Things That Matter um, earlier this year. It's a more, you know, socially conscious. And then with NGL, we are bringing in a few of their owned and operated brands. So Hispanic Kitchen and Latina Moms were their property. So we'll be taking those in. So my role is going to focus on creating a portfolio of these brands. Um, in terms of the content strategy, we are getting into events and sort of some, you know, real life activations um, and just developing that. And so, you know, we talk about the brands like family members where we're like, you know, they they share that DNA of like, the, you know, Mitu's DNA right. um, uh, in terms of like the audience we're, you know, speaking to and stuff, but they each have their distinct personalities, right? So Wham is like, it's that nostalgia, it's comedy, it's a lot more lighthearted. It's like that fun primo that you want to see at every party. Like that's Wham, <laughs> you know, Fierce is like your woke older, you know, who went away to college and like just knows everything you look up to like grandma like so we're kind of like we're we're you know that's how we think of developing these brands it's like they have like their distinct personalities um but there is still a through line um and so that's that's really what my role will be got it I think having such a strong like identity right for each of these brands helps reach those target audiences. Like, well, I might be that super woke, woke prima alive. So to me, I would be super into like fierce brands. And it's yeah. just like, a, the, um, it strengthens your audience. Yeah. And because, yeah, it goes back to that idea, like we're not a monolith, you know, we all have different interests. And so there could, there's, probably is the person who's super into music there probably is the foodie who like either loves to eat out or loves to cook and you know the mom and like I would love to you know develop a, a male focused brand which you know males does not equal sports alone like right and are very <laughs> multifaceted and you know we're, we're we're toying with like you know Latina moms converting that to more of just a parenting vertical because parents are not just moms like dads are increasingly very involved and you know there's something really important to explore there in the sense that you know especially I think in the Latino community you know it used to be such a division of that labor and like for our generation it's not my husband is probably a way more involved parent than I am like you know we <laughs> just um 
I see that, you know, I see my brother and he's a very involved dad. And like, it's just, it's a different generation where men are very, very involved in, in raising their children and they're, they're not like disengaged the way previous generations were. Right. It's like no longer weird here of like a stay at home dad or something. No, not at all. Um, in fact, my, my husband is a stay at home dad. So I will, I will say that. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, and then, and families are looking different. Like now there are, you know, there's adopted um, situations and there's all different kinds of family compositions. Now um, you can have two dads, you can have two moms. And so, you know, we want to really think about making that an inclusive perspective of um, what parenting is. So. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I think it's just so important to like stay with the times, right? Yeah. I know, you know, you spoke a bit about niching down the brands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to thinking about the brand, the brand as a whole, the brand's mm-hmm. content strategy, how wide of a generation range are you targeting? Because for instance, Gen Z and millennial Latinos may have completely different experiences as first-gen Latinos in the U.S., even though they're technically under the same umbrella, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you approach and maintain relevance and relatability with, um, you know, different generations? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, certainly, you know, I, I first have to credit the team that we have that, you know, creates our content and our social media managers that, you know, they like that generation, they just, you know, live and breathe everything social, you know, social trends. Um, We, you know, we've had interns, we try to be mindful of keeping a healthy mix. I'm like an old millennial. And so that is very different than someone who's like Gen Z. And, um, but yeah, you know, it's like, we we're very conscious of making sure we have kind of that wide representation of perspectives as Latinos, as different generations, different perspectives, different life stages, because that's important. You know, there's a few of us that are parents. There's definitely several that are not. People are getting married. They're like, you know, maybe buying their first house. Like, it's important to kind of have a really rich fabric of all of that so that we can make sure that we are bringing a really genuine perspective um, to all of the content, right? And that, you know, we're not like myself, you know, 40 year old trying to guess what is going to resonate with a 24 year old, because I'm not even going to pretend to know that like, I'm going to ask somebody on the team who does know that. And I think that's where there's, there's value in having that diversity on your team, um, and giving everybody a seat at the table, like, you know, it doesn't doesn't matter that I, I'm in the C-suite, like I want to hear from everybody. I want to hear from our interns. I want to know like, you know, what do they recommend? And there is no dumb idea. And especially like that's the beauty of being on social and digital is like, let's test it. Let's try it, right? Like the stakes are not that high. Let's just, we can easily test and get a read on stuff. Um, but yeah, the team is just so incredible at staying on top of trends and, you know, making sure we're on all platforms and just that's, that's kind of the the secret to it. <laughs> right. I was going to say, because it also depends what platform we're talking about, right? Yeah. Like I was thinking, I know um, at least like Me Too Brands is on LinkedIn, but it's it's very different, right? The content that you oh, put yeah. out on LinkedIn than the content that you would put out on TikTok. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, it definitely sounds like you have a good mix of people and ages and experiences and your team, um, I mean, obviously, right, like the whole brand has been very successful. So props yeah. to you and your team. <laughs> Thank you. There there was definitely a whole legacy that came before me. So I will not be, I, you know, I hesitate to take credit, but I will also say the team we have now is, it's incredible. It's not just a job that people clock in and out of. Um, I, you know, what I will say, I think feels so special. It's funny. I was talking to my husband about it the other day and I was like, cause even people we've had, you know, on our team that have left for whatever reason, maybe a better opportunity, a better pay, like that's, that happens, right. That's normal. A lot of people just still remain like, you know, fans, like they'll still come to our, and they're, or, you know, they'll reach out and say like, 
if there's an opportunity, like I would love to come back one day. And like, there's just such an affinity. And I think what makes it so special is like, it's so rare to find a place that you work, you know, to work at where, you know, you're surrounded with your like-minded peers and you have these shared experiences. Like in most cases, speaking for myself, work, like I have, you know, I've worked at a Latino media agency and that, that was definitely a similar experience. But then after that, it's like, usually you're like the one token, you know, Latino person in the room. And they're like, oh, so you can speak for everybody in your community. And you're like, no, this is actually really awkward and inappropriate. Like I I can't be a focus group of one. And so it's super special to feel like we, we all get to work together and bounce ideas off of each other. And like, you can be your full self, right? Like we can all talk about like, whatever that crazy thing is that happened to all of us growing up, you know, as Latino kids or children of immigrants is like, and we laugh it off and it's shared and it's not something you're ever embarrassed about. That's a really special feeling. I agree. I always make this joke about you get closer to Hispanic Heritage Month, you're like, <laughs> boss will start buttering you up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they they ask you to like be on panels or like yeah on the cover of something or on the website <sighs> and you're like no thank you like do the work yourself I know uh, I hear you completely I yeah we again it's the same and you know for us it's like it happens as a company that all advertisers want in and like of course we welcome the opportunity and we want to celebrate and we embrace it but yeah I'm always like you know we're here the other 11 months of the year too guys like you can work with us all the time like don't just wait exactly. till September. We like right. we're ready all the time <laughs> Yeah, it's like Hispanic Heritage Month is like interesting, right? Because you're like, yes, representation and like celebrating the culture. But at the same time, a lot of brands are really good year round. And then it's sometimes you to spot the ones that are more performative and they just do it that one month. Yeah, Um, no, completely. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm glad I it's like my dream to work somewhere. (laughs) I'm surrounded by people that you know I can relate to and whatnot because I've definitely had those experiences I worked in corporate finance and whatnot and it's a very wide male dominated industry and I definitely went through all those feelings of imposter syndrome and feeling like the diversity hire etc so yeah I I know what you're talking about (laughs) Um, for the past few years, right, there's been a significant increase in Latinx media representation, which is great. However, as a content creator myself, I can confirm that this often comes with a feeling like we have to try extra hard to quote unquote make it in the industry and prove that we are in these spaces. So aside from your career goals, what do you hope to achieve in terms of making sure that the doors that have been opened for you remain open for those that come after you? I would like to feel that, I guess we're building the table and building a, you know, a big enough one that can always be expanded on. Um, When I... You're right. Like there's, there's been sort of an influx of, you know, projects and things that feel like a win for representation and, and more Latino projects. Um, And I also, you know, I will say at the risk of, you know, there being people that may not agree with this, like, I also find it a little disappointing when, for example, like, some of our projects get torn down from the inside out, right? So, in the Heights was severely criticized for, you know, not having enough um, diversity and representation. Right, and that. yeah, and like, there's validity to that and, and deserves to, you know, be said. But I also think like, we sometimes can harm our own projects, right? Like, and it, like, to feel that this is happening from the inside out, like, sometimes we're our own worst critics, um, is a little disheartening, because what happens then is so are you going to punish one project because it wasn't perfect and I think it also puts an undue burden on you know those very limited projects that they're supposed to be everything to everyone and they're you know that like if you think about it 
that would never happen in you know mainstream american culture right or even like black culture like there's not any one film that is supposed to represent everybody and everything and be the end all be all like the point is we need a lot of projects and a lot of stories told and a lot of perspectives it's not just one that is supposed to do it for everybody and so i think it's important to keep in mind you know the importance of supporting all those Latino projects, you know, years and years ago, um, I think it was a code switch episode I was listening to. And the, the title was something like, I don't know if I like this, but I'm like, I'm cheering for it. Right. Or I want it to succeed. Right. And it's like that idea that, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be your favorite thing ever, but let's support each other's projects because that's the only way that more things are going to get made because if we reject and tear down like all that does is prove you know that it's not viable that it's not marketable and that it doesn't deserve the you know the funding and the chance and like we want to see more of our things made um we need to support that that's you know what i would love to see is just making the doorway bigger um and we all have a responsibility to play in that so that there can be more like look i'm I mean, I'm not a gamer. I may not like sports. I mean, but like, I'm still going to cheer for those projects to happen because there's audiences for that. There's people that need to see those projects and see that representation in that way. And so we should be cheering for all of it to succeed and supporting one another. I think that's a really good point that you bring up. And it might even be a little controversial because I don't just see it in movies right like we see this everywhere like in media mm -hmm. and um what you were talking about made me think about for example a bunch of netflix shows that have been canceled and i remember at some point this show i think it was called mi gente or gentified gentified uh -huh. um got canceled and then everyone was like why like you know we can never have anything because it doesn't succeed and and then at the at that same time Emily in Paris was like thriving a lot of Latinos it was like what like how is that thriving but Hentify yeah. got canceled it's just that same issue that a lot of times it's our own people that tear down our projects or our mm -hmm. content or there was a time not long ago on TikTok I don't know how familiar you are with like trends and everything going on there and there's like all these like sides of TikTok mm -hmm. and there was like first gen Latina drama on TikTok <laughs> and a bunch of creators were making videos just like giving their two cents and it was like two polar opposite sides where some people thought that first gen latina creators were using that hashtag or that um identity right for clout or for views or mm. for likes just because they like on tiktok a lot of times you'll get the views and the likes through like trauma bonding or something right and people were like what are you doing to elevate the community to add value and it's like you had this whole other site that was like if you don't like it then just keep scrolling right you don't yeah have to, like tear them down it's already hard enough yeah for latinos in media to put themselves out there because of all the self-doubt and all the criticism and whatever to have your own people be the ones criticizing you so i just yeah. like thought about that and it's a good point there could always be more representation or there could always be a more like right way of doing it but it doesn't mean that the way you're doing it is like completely wrong Yeah, no, you're, you're completely right. And yeah, I mean, two, two follow up thoughts on that. One is, I say this also from kind of a personal point of view as, you know, leading the Me Too team. And that again, I, I alluded to, like, there have been missteps, like there, you know, there's things that have happened, like, at, you know, at the very beginning of the year, you know, there was a plagiarism issue that we were horrified to find out about and you know we did everything to to fix it and to try to like just absolutely like we scrambled to 
really do what we thought was right in and rectify it. But again, we are so public facing and it's funny, like, you know, there is a perception that Me Too is like this big, big company. And, you know, especially then like pre-merger, it, it really wasn't, we were like, oh, nobody knows. Like, right. gonna, like on the social, <laughs> you know, the social team, especially they're like, you know, they don't know. It's just like eight of us. Like there's not that many, <laughs> like, just like, but you can't, you know, you can't get in that argument in the comments as much as you want to. Right. And there was like, oh, right. but yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that's what, you know, I can, I can tell you firsthand, like what, is what really pains our team and pains me. Like when you see that unfolding and, you know, that's happened to us and it's like people that, you know, we've worked with before that like we've featured in our content, people that we thought were like friends of Mitsu and allies and always cheered us on. They'll be the first ones in the comments. There was like all these conspiracy, like things that, again, <laughs> we, we can't engage in the comments and like get into this, like, actually, no, that's not right. Like, actually, that's not really the case. Like, it's just this awkward thing where you just feel like you have to take a beating. And this is like our own people, guys. Like, I get it. We screwed up and we want to apologize and we want to make this right. And we want to move on. And like, just to feel like sometimes the the harshest critics come from within and, and like the people that, you know, we thought were our allies. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's a very, it hits very close to home in terms of like, I, I know what that has felt like. Um, and so, yeah, when I see that happening to, you know, to bigger projects and things like that, I'm just like, Oh God, like, I know what that feels like on the other side, right? And it's like nobody ever set out to make something that was offensive or, you know, uninclusive. Like everybody, you, you know, for the most part sets out with the best of intentions and then to feel like, oh, I didn't do it perfectly and I'm getting, you know, criticized for it. It's painful. Um, but the other thing I was going to also say is that the other important part of, you know, how things change is really making sure that, you know, we have representation and that we occupy spaces in all industries and at all levels. Um, because, you know, you hear a lot about like when there was all these recent cancellations, you know, um, Gordita Chronicles and, I, you know, all these other recent shows, people were, were comparing and saying, you know, like Seinfeld was like, really awkward its first season but it got a second season and that's when it kind of found its footing and it's become you know part of the zeitgeist and like that idea that we get like one strike and you're out um right how that changes is like you know those are the decision makers at the studio that that's like those are the people that like that's why it's important to take those internships take those jobs work your way up at, at every every type of company every type of job like be the filmmaker, be the studio executive, be like you can be in those positions of power because that's what's going to change the decisions that are being made. Um, and there's a lot of power in that, right? So it's not just like, yes, we need the filmmakers, we need the people making those projects, but we also need the people that have the power and the influence of the decision making um, of what gets greenlit or what gets, you know, another season. Um, because, you know, I think that's where a lot of it is dying so quickly. It's like they're given one chance and then it's like, okay, the tolerance runs out really fast. Let's move on. And we need more folks that in that table. A hundred percent. It's more about having enough people right at the top to vouch for these projects. Yeah, absolutely. So Vanessa, can you describe what your day looks like as the chief brand officer? Well, I think most people in a c-suite position would say no two days are the same they're always pretty packed with meetings um, i try if i'm if i'm able to and i get to bed at a decent time the night before i try to do a 5 a.m workout it, it oh. turned out to be my favorite time to work out because <laughs> it's like the one time nobody can bother me see a lot <laughs> of people that, but i cannot <laughs> wake up that i oh think God wait till you're older then you don't sleep as much and then you're like yeah. oh, I might as well do something productive <laughs> I so need like I eight to ten hours of sleep <laughs> oh no see I'm good with like five so I'm, I'm fine wow. um, so yeah so I try to do that it's just great to kind of get my day started I have a lot of so you know a lot of this the c-suite counterparts um are in 
on the East Coast. Um, so two are in New York. One is, you know, he's kind of between New York, Miami. Um, so, you know, definitely it's nice to handle some of those communications in the morning with that team. Um, yeah, I have, you know, I have two school age kids, five and seven. Um, but like I said, my husband is an incredible partner. He does a lot of, you know, the, that helping and getting everybody ready and getting breakfast ready. So, um, definitely we always have breakfast together, which is, it's good. Um, That's great. Underway. I love, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love no, that. Yeah. I like, we don't miss breakfast. We do that. And then the kids are on their way at seven 30 and kind of logging on by 8 a.m. to have meetings with the East Coast. Um, yeah, just a lot of meetings. And then in terms of who that's with, you know, it's it ranges. Um, definitely sometimes with, you know, the C-suite counterparts within NGL Collective, Mitu, um, and sometimes, you know, we're part of, a, of our parent companies, Go Digital Media. So um, sometimes, you know, we have those C-suite meetings with, with that entity. Um, a lot of, you know, right now we're obviously going through a lot of like merging, um, and integration, you know, processes and things. So there's a lot of those meetings happening. I'm lucky that I still also get to meet with just, you know, everybody on the team. We're not that, that big. I think pre-merger Mitu was maybe about 60 people or so. Um, and, you know, we're kind of scattered throughout the country. A lot of us are here in LA, um, but we also have a few team members in Mexico. And then we have an office in Bogota in Colombia. So a lot of folks um, in, on the Colombia team and they're fantastic. Definitely a lot of virtual meetings, but then we have our studio space. So every Thursday I do go there for a leadership meeting and it's nice to kind of see people in real life. Um, so yeah, it's just... Lots and lots of meetings. My my seven year old asked me, he's like, Mommy, what do you do for work? And I was like, I don't know. I answer a lot of questions. <laughs> and Anyone like, in corporate America, it's like I send emails and yeah. get emails. <laughs> I field all the questions, all the, you know, all the sticky stuff like comes, you know, as you get higher up. You're kind of dealing with less of the day to day projects and work, but it's like the stuff that bubbles up to you is like the big stuff that, you know, nobody else can figure out. And you're like, huh, okay, that's, that's a puzzle. I haven't come across that one. And so uh, a lot of problem solving. So <laughs> having grown up here and as your worldview continues to expand, how do you reconcile and honor the background and tradition that you have from your Mexican roots? Uh, that's such a good question because I feel like it's a it's a reckoning question for me, um, especially since becoming a mom. Um, you know, that thinking about it now, I actually haven't been to Mexico since becoming a mom, um, and I would love to take my kids. When I see that my kids have just this inherent like interest in it, and you know, I try to make sure I, I'll be honest, I have not been good about instilling the language in them, but I try and I kind of ebb and flow in my efforts. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of it. I think, you know, state, obviously, I still have my mom and my dad, which I'm so lucky for. And I, you know, I trying to really embrace that culture and like, teach my kids that they're part of something bigger. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's just a lot of storytelling is how it happened for me. Um, and I think that's why, you know, I probably pour so much of myself into work and what I do and like what me do stands because we do become increasingly distant from the culture firsthand, like you said, right? Like mm -hmm. we may not be going as often. We may not sort of have that firsthand. And obviously, you know, living in LA, like, the culture is everywhere. It's different. It's, it's, you know, it's Americanized, you know, whatever it's, it's, it's our hybrid, you know, 200% experience as, as Latinos that live here. But um, I think that's why, you know, it is so important that some of that storytelling and like celebrating and like the food and why we want to do, you know, these events that like just bring this stuff into real life um, is, is so important. Um, so that we can continue to have those shared experiences. You know, I think a lot about 
sometimes the thing that I would say keeps me up at night in terms of work is like, okay, a lot of people like, like in, um, you know, Latino culture, identity, or U.S. Hispanics, like equals Spanish. And increasingly, that's less and less the case, right? Like most of us are fully bilingual, increasingly more English dominant for those that were, you know, born and raised here. Um, and so it's not the language. We are moving away from the language, perhaps some of us, like I look at my kids and I'm like, they're probably not going to be as fluent or as comfortable with the language as I am, right? Like there's a lot that was lost from that generation. Um, but how do we continue to keep that culture alive? And it's through all the other touch points. It's storytelling. It's like, you know, the the beauty, the aesthetic, the food, the clothes, the you know, the, keeping those legends and those memories alive and like honoring those stories that, you know, haven't been told and those stories that Lord knows we never learned in American, you know, history growing up because those stories were never going to be told. And so, um, you know, Miku does want to move into more of like longer form IP storytelling. And that's where we talk about like, there's so many like legends and history that we don't know, like it, it deserves to be told. Right. And so like, how can we tell that for a new generation so that that doesn't get lost? Right. Yeah. I think there are so many different layers to it. I, I think like I'm so in touch with my Mexican roots, but sometimes I go to Mexico and I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. You know, sometimes I feel out of touch or, you know, my family starts judging how I speak Spanish. I mean, like, I don't want to forget Spanish, but I, at some point, I actually, like, wasn't speaking that much Spanish because Mm -hmm. all my friends spoke English. Like, I spoke in English to my dad, and Mm -hmm. my whole life was in English. And at some point, I was like, I'm starting to forget a lot of Spanish. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I need to start speaking more Spanish with like my siblings and calling my mom and my grandma just to I know. And it's like, yeah, it takes a real effort. And that's exactly it. Like, I don't think, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think it's for neglect. It's just sort of like life happens. And the next thing you know, it's like, it just, yeah, it, you know, you have to make a real effort to keep it alive. Um, But you know, that's, I guess that's with everything, right? Like that's, you know, that's what they say about marriage is like, you got to keep the romance alive. You got to like, you have to put the work into it and not be passive about it. Um, and yeah, I think that's just where there's, you know, there's also bigger projects and efforts that can be done and like why, you know, storytelling matters and entertainment matters and media and like, all, you know, entrepreneurship and like, it can just take so many forms, but it's, um, you know, we, we should celebrate and enable all of it. Yeah, that's right. Um, in conclusion, it comes down <laughs> to the effort, right, that we put into everything. Yeah, absolutely. As the episode comes to an end, I would just like to ask, what is something that you would say to your younger self? And would she be shocked to see where you are now? I think she'd be pleasantly surprised, I guess. Um, I feel like you know, and so I'm just, I'm incredibly blessed and grateful, you know, and it's, it's not just been happenstance, like it's, you know, it's been a lot of work and how I was brought up and my parents sacrificing a lot. And there was a lot that got me to this point. But um, I would say like, I, you know, I have what I've always wanted. And for that, I feel very, very grateful. Um, And I guess what I would say to my younger self is, uh, just to, to trust that every part of you is, you know, exists for a reason and it's, it, it will lead to just something really exciting and thrilling that, you know, is going to make you very happy. Like I, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up in the most diverse area, you know, when I grew up in West Covina, like now West Covina is like majority, you know, so many Latinos and it's very multicultural, but growing up, it wasn't, you know, I definitely still felt like, you know, that, that odd kid out that was like, mm, I don't know, like you try to sort of downplay your culture and your identity. And, yeah. you know, I would just say like that, you know, there, I would reassure her that there is no shame in that. And 
like one day you will be so grateful and so proud for having had such a rich upbringing um, in terms of, you know, just coming from this culture and having that. And it's such a gift. Beautifully said. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, That was a great conversation. I don't know if you have any closing remarks or anything, you know, that you'd like to share. Oh, I would just say, I mean, there's room for all of it. There is no one right way to exist or represent our culture. Um, And, you know, we're, we deserve to be in all spaces. And, um, you know, no matter how big or small the ambition is, you know, there's, there's room for all of it. And we need, you know, we need to be represented in all of it. And um, I just hope that, you know, everybody finds those spaces where they can be their whole selves and, and continue to look for that. If you, if you're in a space that I think you feel like you're, you're needing to suppress any part of your identity or who you are, um, you know, maybe aim higher than that because, you know, we, we shouldn't have to sort of suppress or be ashamed of, of who we are and our background and, um, yeah, I, I would just say that, but it looks all all different ways. You know, I've had one of my dear friends from college, you know, worked at a big company and, you know, she's like, oh, you know, they expect me to join the ERG and I don't know if I want to. And I'm like, you know, you don't like, you don't have to fit in that box if that's not for you. Like you can still represent and be a proud, and like, she is a proud Latina, you know, and she can do that mm-hmm. in another way without having to be like, you know, an official part of that club, which again, like you and I talked about earlier, right? It's like, it puts like that token on your head. That's like, okay, cool. Just talk to that person and it's done. And it's like, well, maybe right. that's not the way to do it. Maybe it's like, just go be a really like amazing badass in the C-suite. And like, you don't have to be part of the ERG, but you know what? Like people are looking up to you and you're still a Latina in a position of power and you're still like having impact in other ways. It can all sorts of ways so that's all I would say right I think it's so important to recognize like in which ways you can better represent right or like do your best to to represent the most authentically completely yeah everybody you know has different you know some there's people that are introverts extroverts like not not everybody is going to follow the same path and again I just think we should support one another no matter what it looks like you know if if just if we're not hurting each other you're not hurting the culture like that's all that matters like other than that there's space for all of it like we're not a monolith um so yeah this was so amazing (laughs) this is such a treat thank you yeah, thank you. And again, congratulations. Um, I hope that you do a lot more great, you know, aside from everything that you've already accomplished. And I look forward to staying in touch. Yes, likewise. Definitely be sure to to follow me through for all the, you know, fun stuff that we have planned. And we would love to see you at one of our events. Um, we'll definitely keep you guys posted. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, 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 oh,